Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible Centered Podcast. I want to thank you so much for the feedback and uh, the support of this podcast. Uh, great things are happening. Um, Spotify reached out to us. Uh, they are now sponsoring the podcast. Uh, what, a, what a privilege that is. Um, also, for those that have uh, subscribed, uh, we got some exclusive content uh, coming to you starting today. Uh, we got some exciting announcements. Uh, I appreciate all those that have subscribed already to the podcast. Um, but we do have some new exclusive content. Uh, and announcements coming uh, today. Uh, so make sure you subscribe today to get an, uh, access to exclusive content and uh, some announcements that you're getting before anyone gets publicly. I'm bringing it to our subscribers first. Amen. Uh, we're going to open up our Bibles to Psalm 51. Uh, there is a concept that I want to talk to you about that this is a burden of mine and um i love the word of god because it it it, it shines light on um so many great things and great uh characters in the scripture that things we haven't thought of before uh, but it'll be a blessing to us uh those of you that have asked us how our first service went and uh, Colonial High School at 6100 Oleander Drive, Orlando, Florida. Uh, wow, great things happen. Uh, God is doing amazing things. If you're ever in the Orlando area, come and see us. Psalm chapter 51 and verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. This is a psalm of David after he messed up with Bathsheba. And it's amazing that David, how he got God's attention was his heart. But now through a series of events, he's asking for God to create in him a clean heart. That somewhere along the lines, his heart had gotten tainted just with the affairs of life as these things happen. And it's amazing how life can taint things that we are trying to, we're trying to do something for God that starts pure, but it's amazing how life and society can try to impede itself upon our hearts where we have to, as David did, ask for God to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. 
David was defined by relationship. In order to understand this text in Psalm 51, we have to go back to the beginning and understand that his life was defined by relationship. And what attracted God to David was his heart after him. Um, Because Israel needed somebody with a heart after God. Remember, there comes a point in Israelite history after the judges that Samuel the prophet is leading them. And as Samuel the prophet is leading them, they become discontent with his leadership. They saw his sons, that his sons weren't serving God. And so they cried out for a king. They said, make us a king. And it's amazing God's response to their declaration and petition for a king because how God looked at their request for a king was he said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. Uh, They were not content for God to be their king. They wanted a visual representation of a king, and God interpreted it as rejection. Now, it's interesting that God would respond to their request for a king as rejection because as a part of the blessing over the patriarchs, Abram, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he, as a part of his blessing and a part of his covenant, he's the one that prophesies that kings would come out of their loins. In Genesis 17, 6, he would tell Abram in Genesis 17, 6, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. God prophesies that kings are going to come out of their loins as a part of blessing, not as a curse, but as a part of blessing. God speaks the blessing that kings will come out of his loins. Yet whenever the people of God ask for a king, all of a sudden, God's angry. Why why is this? Because even in Genesis 5, Genesis 35 and 11, when God speaks to Jacob, in Genesis 35, 11, he says it this way. It says, and God said unto him, I am God almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee and kings shall come out of thy loins. Again, God prophesies to Abraham and Jacob as a part of the covenant, as a part of the blessing, kings are going to come out of your loins. Yet when the people ask for a king, God says, you've rejected me. Why is that? Here's why. It's because God's problem was never with Israel having a king. His problem was that they initiated something in the flesh that he wanted to initiate in the spirit. That he wanted to decide when they would have a king. But because of the pressure of culture, the Bible says that they saw all the nations around them had kings. They wanted to imitate culture. 
And so they said, make us a king. And God said, you have rejected me. So it wasn't a king issue. It was a timing issue. And they wanted to initiate the kingdom of Israel in the flesh instead of waiting on God to initiate it in the spirit. And so God's problem was never with them having a king. It was a timing issue. And it was the motive of man that made God discontent. They were unwilling to wait for God to give them their king out of impatience they initiated a kingdom in the flesh. And so what God did is God said, well, okay, you want this king? He told Samuel, I want you to tell them what type of king that they're going to have. He says, tell them that he's going to take from them. I want you to define their first king because I want them to you to show them where the flesh gets them. And that this king is going to take from them. Over and over, he, he says it. This is what's going to happen. That this is the manner of king. Look at it in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that ask him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself for his chariots, for his horsemen, and he shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of wars. You see what he's saying? He's saying, your first king is gonna be very selfish. He's going to take from you. This is going to be a fleshly king. He says it in verse 13, he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. He said, he's going to take your fields, your vineyards, your olive vineyards and the best of them. And he's going to give them to his servants. He says, you're going to get an oppressive king. You're going to get a king that represents flesh. You see, the first king of Israel, which was Saul, he represented the flesh, but David represented the spirit. You see, David was God's first king. Saul was the people's first king. So God said, I'm going to give you the flesh, but you're going to get so sick of flesh that you're finally going to cry out for something of the spirit. And so Saul, his kingdom is a fleshly kingdom, a kingdom that is filled with performance-based religion, a kingdom that is filled with just looking good, but not having the heart. He's head and shoulders above everybody, meaning he has the, the mind, he has the intellect, he has the ability, he has the appearance, but he doesn't have the heart. He, he, has, he has the good impression, but when you start honing in on his life, you see he doesn't have a heart after God. And what's amazing about this is that during the times of Saul, during his kingdom and before his kingdom, they used the ark as a symbol. They, they, the ark of the covenant was a representative of the presence of God among the people. But before Saul becomes king, they used the ark as a way 
the the people were backslid. The people were backslid. Um, sent, uh, Eli's kids, Hophni and Phineas, they were backslid. Religion had become something of backslid. It, it was dead religion. They were sleeping with women at the door of the tabernacle. They had backslid from what the covenant was all about. They they were eating what belonged to God. The Bible says that that the fat of an offering belonged to the Lord, but the Bible says that Hophni and Phinehas, that they would eat of that fat. And they weren't the only ones that ate of that fat because Eli also ate of that fat. And that's why the Bible would refer to him as a very large man. He ate what belonged to God. And the ark was taken from them because they sent the ark out. They they had were backslid. They didn't have a relationship with God. Eli couldn't even recognize God's voice anymore. He was so backslid. And they sent the ark out believing that the ark, the symbol, would defeat their enemies. But the Philistines, they took that ark because the enemy isn't afraid of symbols. Uh, it's not afraid of symbols. It's afraid of substance. And can I tell you, the enemy isn't afraid of the cross. The devil isn't afraid of the cross. He's afraid of when we take up our cross. See, he's not afraid of symbols. He's afraid of substance when people actually are in covenant with the Ark of the Covenant, in covenant with the cross, taking up the cross. That's what hell is afraid of. He's not afraid of symbols. And so it was a time of dead religion, um, just just dead religion. Um, and just they had lost the meaning of what it meant to be the people of God. And so God was wanted to raise up David to shock the religious system, to, to shock the religious system, to show them that it's all about relationship and you guys are just going through the motions of ritual. If, if we really want to get to the origins of religion, man, I, we're, we're going to go deep on this episode. If you really want to get into the origins of religion, religion just means a system of beliefs. You see, in the garden, God had a relationship with Adam. Listen, but then he initiated a system to protect that relationship. He, he instituted a system, a religion. God was the original author of religion. What was the what was the religion that Adam practiced? Well, he kept the garden. He had an assignment to keep the garden, to till the garden. And so it was a system that helped guard and protect the sanctity of that relationship. Because God is the one that planted the garden. He just wanted Adam to till that garden and protect and to keep that garden. The word protect and to keep, it's it's the same Hebrew word that's used for the priest when it came to keeping and protecting the tabernacle. You see, it's about protecting God's dwelling place. And so God had relationship with Adam. He gave a system of beliefs for Adam to, to follow. But then we see that the enemy infiltrated that system and it began to harm the relationship that Adam 
had between him and God. And so it cast man out of the garden. Listen to this. It cast man out of the garden. And now man lost relationship. Listen, guys, but he keeps the system. My goodness. So man keeps the system, but he loses relationship. And and that's the problem with religion, with dead religion, that people keep the systems, but they lose the relationship. And so after Adam gets kicked out of the garden, now for the first time, man has a system and now it's not about relationship with God. Now man starts using the system to worship other things. Now they're worshiping the trees, paganism. They're worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars. But they use the same system to try to provoke relationship with the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea creatures, and all that. They still have the religion, but they don't have any relationship with those things. But what do they do? They develop an intimate relationship with the system and replace of their relationship with God. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And so their conscience becomes seared with the hot iron because now they put this system into paganism. They Now they put this system into all these false ideals and false religions where now they're more in more relationship with the system than they are in relationship with God. And religion is a system of beliefs that is just supposed to guard and help cultivate the relationship with God. But what happens is when man falls out of relationship with God, they value the system of beliefs more than the relationship with God. And that's what leads to corruption and backsliding and abuse and spiritual abuse and all of these things because man has forgotten that he was created to worship. He wasn't created to worship a system. And so what what happens is that man is 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 so backslid but they keep the system and is what the writer would later say people having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof you see see when people lose their godliness they keep the form catch that they have a form of godliness see see it's like someone that used to sing very anointed or used to preach very anointed and you saw they had a relationship with God and you felt the fruits of that relationship and they had these mannerisms that 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 would accompany the anointing they had these mannerisms that would accompany godliness but what happens they drift from God and when they drift from God now they don't have a relationship with God but they still have their mannerisms but you notice there's a shift. You don't feel the anointing anymore. You don't feel the presence of God anymore, but they still got the form. You see, they still got the religion. They just lost the relationship. And more than anything, God wants us to have relationship with God. This was why David came on the scene to bring man back to relationship because it had lost its sight with religion. Everything was about being with God. The concept of the tabernacle, it was about God dwelling among the people. But they became so ritualistic and performance-based that they lost sight of what they were doing. And that could be, it could be 
very damaging whenever people get bruised by that concept of of just dead religion where where god's not here but everybody just addicted to the system step 1 step 2 two two songs announcements another song and all of a sudden god's not there it's like false advertisement it's like false advertisement you know people come to church and we advertise that you know hey god's here but then people get there and they say oh oh yeah well he's not here but hey we need we need 20 dollars from you I said, like, hold on, I came here for God. He said, yeah, well, you give $20 and you'll get God. And then they give the $20 and guess what? God's not there. The encounter's not there. It's a dead religion. It's false advertisement. It's like you get in a, uh, ordering you know, uh, a Big Mac, a, no, a number one from McDonald's, and you, you see it on the billboard. It's so beautiful. It's so juicy and it's so awesome. And you're like, man, I got to go to McDonald's and get that. You go to McDonald's, order a Big Mac, and you get it, and the bread's sticking to the paper, and they it's missing ingredients, and it just is all sloppy, and it, they forgot the pickles, and they forgot this and forgot that, and you're like, hold on, man. Y'all advertised that this was good. Now I'm getting a lesser version. How many? That's what you call dead religion. When people are advertising God is here, and and they get there, and God's not there. And it's like, well, what am I doing here if God's not here? Well, what am I doing? You see, the thing about God is that when God leaves a place, he never announces that he's leaving. God just slips out of the back door and takes a few months before people realize, hold on, God isn't here anymore. God has left. This is what was happening in the time of Saul where the the temple, the tabernacle in, in Shiloh, had become so corrupted and so messed up because of Hophni and Phineas, they left their relationship with God, but they kept the system. And what what happens is, is that now the spirit of God begins to depart from the tabernacle and it comes upon Samuel. And if you notice during the time of Samuel, that the tabernacle wasn't popular. The, the tabernacle wasn't, wasn't no longer like the place where God's spirit was falling. There was no holy of holies where the glory is falling. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. But now the presence shifted from the tabernacle to a man of God and Samuel. And the Bible says that Samuel would go and do, do sacrifices in Ramah. And everywhere he did the sacrifice, that's where God honored isn't that amazing, the shift that happened where God had to move his presence from the tabernacle to a man of God, to a prophet. And Samuel's life ushers in the prophets, the shift of the prophets. That's, that's where the emphasis comes on the prophets because the tabernacle had become so corrupted. They had to now, wherever Samuel did the sacrifice, that's where God honored. Wow. That... that the grace of God is unbelievable because he gave specific instructions in Deuteronomy and Exodus to do sacrifices in the tabernacle. But the tabernacle had become so corrupted because of dead religion, God honored where relationship was current. 
And wherever Samuel did the sacrifice, that's where God honored. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you got to go look at that in 1 Samuel. So it's dead religion. And God was looking for somebody to be raised up to shock the religious system. Where it's, it's can you see how we're still in that, that problem today? I'm trying to get to this, to this text, but can you see how people adopt the systems of religion, but they lose out on relationship? And when that, when that happens, everything's performance-based. Everything's a show. And, and people have lost the foundation of what it is to know God and have a relationship with God. You know, Jairus had to go through this because Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. It looks like I might have to do a part two of this again, right? I mean, because uh, we're talking about relationship today. I might have to do a part two uh, because I, I want to pin this home and I don't want to be in a rush with this concept. I want to make sure we get this very clearly. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. You know what the ruler of the synagogue was? The ruler of the synagogue was all about system. The ruler of the synagogue, he he was in charge of the order of the service in the synagogue. They, You know what they would do in the synagogue? They would have a few hymns, and then the rabbi would open up the book and expound on the scriptures. Doesn't this sound similar? Jairus had the system down to a science. He had step one, step two, step three, two songs, offering, another song. Okay, let's get into the word, prayer at the end. He, he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was in charge of the order of the services. But there came a moment in his life that his daughter was sick and about to die. And he realized the system couldn't heal his daughter. Mm. He realized that his ritual couldn't heal his daughter. And so what Jairus did is that the trouble that he was in broke him free from the system. The trouble that he was in broke him free from religion and said, my, 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 my God, my, my, this day-to-day -day ritual, mundane day-to-day, -day, it's not healing my daughter. I need to go and find Jesus. He went and found Jesus and he kneeled, he knelt before him. And the Bible says that Jesus told Jairus, bring me to where your daughter is. And, and Jairus begins to bring Jesus. But in the moment of bringing Jesus, the woman with the issue of blood interrupts the journey. And he touch, she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus heals her. And look at the desperation of Jairus. Jairus just waits until he gets her miracle. So Jesus could continue his journey back to her, his house. Listen to this. You know what Jairus was saying? He was saying to the woman with the issue of blood, hey, you can touch him if you want, but he's coming home with me. My goodness. He said, listen, you can touch him on Sunday if you want, but I'm bringing him back to my house Monday. That's what you call relationship. Where I'm not living just for a touch on a spectacular day, on a revival service or on a conference. 
I am interested in taking him home because I have, I need to bring Jesus to my house. He needs to fix some things. And guess what happens? Jairus brings Jesus back to his house. And when he brings him back to his house, what happens? The dead religion and the day-to-day ritual had infiltrated Jairus's home because the Bible says that there were people that were that were crying and mourning over his daughter. That's the system. Because listen, what happened is you go study this in their custom. These were people that were hired to cry. They were professional mourners. Anyone that died, you paid somebody to come and weep over them. Go look it up. Go look it up. These were professional mourners. See, the system had gotten all the way into his house where they weren't crying out of a burden. They were crying out of a a religious response. My word, my word, my word. The, The system had crept so much into his house that he needed Jesus to come and interrupt the system. And Jesus says, well, the damsel's just asleep. And the Bible says immediately that they laughed him to scorn. You see how their their crying wasn't sincere? They went from crying and mourning to laughing in a moment. See, that's a sign of dead religion. That's a sign that you have lost substance. You have lost relationship. You have lost what this is really all about. My word, I'm talking right now. I'm talking to somebody listening right now that they lost what this was all about. So you know what Jesus did? He cast them out of the room and he healed his daughter. And he said, arise. And she was made whole. Jairus had to go into relationship with Jesus. He had to go and walk with Jesus. He had to bring Jesus into his home And there was something about relationship they could do what no system could ever do. This is what was happening during the times of Saul. Everything was about dead religion. It was about the appearance of being right, but not truly being right. God is all about relationship. And Samuel had a relationship with God, but But during the times of Saul, everything was about how you look. Even whenever he sinned, the Bible says the first thing he said was, yes, I have sinned. Look what he says. He says, yes, I have sinned. But he said, hey, but can you can you worship with me in front of the people so I don't look bad? You see, he wasn't concerned with repentance. He was just concerned with how he looked. He was just concerned with how he looked. That was his chief concern is that just don't let me look bad in front of the people. I know I messed up. I know I sinned. I know it was bad, but please uh, just don't let me look bad in front of the people. That's what religion does. It's not about having the heart for God and living for real and living in, in this great space, it's about, man, how would people look at me if they find out I messed up? 
You see, David, he repents, but the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, chapter 30, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30, it says, then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. You see, his worship was all about how he looked in front of the people. It wasn't about being right with God. And so God was raising up David and his relationship with God to shock that system and bring the people of God back to relationship because that's what it's all about. And it's interesting, the, the, the word choice here, because the Bible says God said, make them a king. And the Bible says that Saul was made king. But with David, it says that I have found, I have found a king. I have found a man after my own heart. And the Bible says that the Lord found David. You see, Saul was made king, but David was found. There's a difference between making someone and God finding someone. So you can make someone something in the flesh, but God found David in the spirit. He found David singing to sheep. He found David writing songs when no one was watching. That's how you were found. Every listener that's listening right now, this is how you were found. You just wanted God. You weren't concerned with the titles and the positions and everything going on in the world. More than anything, you just wanted Jesus. And that's all God's looking for. He found David, a man after his own heart. And and, and we see this uh, whenever his brothers came. And the Bible says that his brothers went through a sanctification ritual to meet the prophet. Uh, All of his brothers went through a sanctification ritual to meet the prophet. But the Bible says that that the oil, the prophet wouldn't pour the oil on all of these sanctified folk. The anointing skipped over a bunch of sanctified folk. And David, they said, don't you have another? And the Bible says they went to find David. And David did not go through that sanctification ritual, and the oil came upon him. See, the oil skipped over a whole bunch of sanctified folk because they got sanctified by the system, but David got sanctified by the Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit came upon him from that day forward. You see, they got sanctified by the system, but David got sanctified by the Spirit. Isn't that incredible that David get sanctified by the spirit. You see, they got sanctified by the system. Step one, step two, here's how you get anointed. Step three, step four, here's how you get used. Step five, step six, here's how you get promoted. Step seven, step eight, this is how you get your name out there. And while they were going through all the system rituals, the Bible says that the anointing came upon David because of his relationship. You see, the relationship with God trumps the system every time. You see, the spirit trumps dead religion every time. When someone just wants God over everything, that's all he's looking for. 
And I'm speaking to a bunch of listeners right now that are just tired of going through the motions of religion. You want a relationship with God. You want to know him. You want to know his word. That's why you're listening. You want to know his word. You want to know what it's all about. That's what David represented. He was a shock to the religious system to bring the people of God back to what it's all about. And that's relationship. It's all about relationship. It was David's heart that got God's attention. And it was your heart that got God's attention. God's not interested in your background, where you came from, who you know, how popular you are. He wants to just know, do you want to know me? Do you, do you want to do you want to know me? I've got some things I want to show you. Do you want to know me? And that was the first command that Jesus gave the disciples before he released them into ministry. The Bible says that he commanded them that they be with him. And then he sent them forth to preach and to cast out devils and to heal the sick. But the first command of the apostles was to be with him. Be with me first and I'll sing you to preach. Be with me first. I'll sing you to cast out devils. But there's something that you never graduate from, and that's from spending time with me. Mm. It's, the, it's the qualifier of ministry. It's the qualifier of greatness to spend time with the Savior. Relationship. Don't ever let religion or the busyness of ministry to take you away from relationship with God. It's all about being with him. And while Martha was busy serving, the Bible says that Mary made room to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. She was focused on relationship more than even serving. See, we've got to get back to relationship. We've got to get back to being right with God over what we do from for God. That's that's and I feel that hunger. I feel that hunger to everyone listening to this podcast. I can feel your hunger. This is while I'm talking about this. You're just tired of the day-to-day mundane. You want to know God. You're a David. You're a David that wants relationship over the dead religion that has taken over the world, taken over the earth. You're just tired. You want to feel God. You want to know God. You want to know his word. You want that more than anything. It's all about relationship. This is what Jesus did when he condemned them in the temple. He said, listen, my house is called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. They They were exchanging money in the temple, in the court of the Gentiles, or they were supposed to be making uh, a place comfortable for God to visit and for visitors to come and encounter God. They were just making money. And he said, listen, man, I'm, this is supposed to be the house of prayer. This is supposed to be a place where you come for communication, that you come for an encounter with God. It's not a place to make money. It's not a place. These are people that it became just a dead religion became a, a way to just make make a buck. That was never the intention of God's church. It was never the intention of the temple. It was never the intention of the tabernacle to be, just be a place of business. It was always meant to be a place 
of relationship. And you see, everyone has membership now. They talk about membership. Membership. I'm a member here. I'm a member there. Membership. Well, the the issue is that 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 word member is a biblical word that we have tainted with a culture, cultural word, because you can become a member of a gym. What what makes you a member? Well, you pay your money there. And what makes you a member of this? Oh, I pay my money there. And this has happened in the church where where you member it. Well, I pay my tithe here. Well, I pay my offering there. That's what they consider membership. But biblically, that's not what membership means. When you look at membership, he's saying that you are a member of the body, meaning that you are a joint, you're a finger, you're a limb, you're a hand, you're a face, you're a foot, you're a knee, you're, you're, you're a shoulder. Like he said that you, that God has placed every member in the body according to as it has pleased him, meaning a member is supposed to have a function in the body. It's not about what you give. It's not about how many much money you bring. It's about you are glorifying God by operating in a purpose for the body of Christ. That's what it is to be a member. Amen. Amen. And so that a member is healthy, determining on its relationship with the head. You see, Jesus Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. And if you don't have a head, then there's no function for the body. There's no purpose of the body. But the effectiveness of every limb of the body is in its connection to the head. That's why we have to stay in proper relationship with Jesus because it helps us to function the right way. And when any member loses contact with, with the head, the members don't function properly. It becomes dysfunctional. We have to stay in proper alignment with the head. Relationship with God over everything. I talked about it in uh, the book of Isaiah and how it says that God anointed Cyrus in the book of Isaiah. It says that he anointed um, Cyrus. And when it says that he anointed Cyrus, this was a pagan king that it says that God anointed. And the Bible says that when he anoints Cyrus, the Lord's anointed, look what it says. It says in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse verse 4, it says, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, listen to this, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. And God says in verse 1, thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. You see, God anointed a pagan king, although the pagan king did not know God. You can be anointed and not know the Lord. You can be anointed and not know him. See, anointing isn't the sign 
of relationship. You see this? He said, I've anointed you, but it doesn't mean that you know me. And even in the tabernacle, the Bible says that they consecrated the, the utensils for the service of the Lord. The Bible says that they anointed the spoons for the service of the Lord. But even a spoon's anointed, but a spoon is not capable of a relationship. See, a relationship with God is more valuable than an anointing from God. A spoon can be anointed, but a spoon is not capable of a relationship. So it doesn't matter how anointed we are. If we don't have a relationship with God, we're no better than a spoon. We have to have relationship with God over everything. This is why David came on the scene to shock that system, to bring it back to what it was all about. The first thing he did when he became king is he brought the ark in, into the center of, of Israel. He went to get the ark. That was his priority, bring the presence of God back to the center of everything that's done. It was all about relationship. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel God's Spirit talking to somebody right now. There's a, And I feel your desire. I'm talking about this because I feel your desire. You want to know God. You want to know God. But we have to learn from Israel. We have to learn from the state of the synagogues and the temple during the times of Jesus and how they had missed it. They had missed it so much that Jesus had to, it was in the synagogues that they wanted to kill him. He had to go out to the shore to preach. John had to preach in the desert. He had to preach to the, in the wilderness. There wasn't room for him in that system. But the Bible says the crowds were willing to sit on the hot sand to hear John preach. No PA system, no air condition, no water, just the raw word of God. They said, I'm willing to travel far to hear from somebody that has a pure word from God. And they passed up the synagogues. They passed up the beautiful buildings. They passed it up and they went to hear a wild man crying out in the wilderness. Jesus was preaching on the, from the ship to the seashore. They were, they, the multitudes were sitting on the seashore. The multitudes were going into Peter's house. Then the, it was so much, so crowded in Peter's house that they had to break open the roof to bring somebody down to hear a word from God and get healed. Because the synagogues had drifted. See, it was in the synagogues that they had demon-possessed people. The Bible says there was a man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue. Unclean, still showing up to worship service. The Bible says there was a man with a withered hand in the synagogue and he had a withered hand and he was used to showing up to church, not being healed, but he kept showing up. But finally, Jesus came to that church and said, hey man, stand forth, stretch forth your hand, be healed. And the man was healed and all of the preachers were angry because he got healed on the Sabbath day because they were more committed to the system than they were to relationship with God. He said, listen, this, he said, he said that the, that, that 
that that the Lord is Lord of the Sabbath. You say, you've got to put the Sabbath in context that is not for these little system things, these little rule things, all these rules that you guys made. It's about being rested in his presence. That's what it was all about, being rested in his presence. But they made it into something completely judgmental and condemning that was against the very essence of who God was. It's about coming back to relationship. David was raised up to bring Israel back to relationship with God. David was God's first king. Saul was the people's first king. And Saul represented the flesh. And what God does, this is how he deals with flesh, is that he raises up insurmountable obstacles like Goliath to remind flesh that it's not God. He raises up obstacles to make the flesh shrink back. And so when Goliath was raised up, remember Saul was head and shoulders above everybody. But when Goliath showed up, Saul's hiding. See, the flesh shrinks when faced with spiritual opposition. Mm. And so what did they do? They didn't know what to do. The Bible says that David said, listen, I'm coming to this giant in the name of the Lord. I'm not coming in my own name. I'm not coming in Jesse's name. I'm not coming in the king's name. I am coming in the name of the Lord. I'm coming in the name of relationship. The only thing that can defeat this giant is not my intellect, not my ability, not my background, but my relationship with God. And the first thing that Saul wanted to do was put his armor on David. You see, two reasons he wanted to put his armor on David. Number one is, is that he wanted his armor to be put on David. So perhaps they would believe that David was him because no one would ever wear the king's armor. That, that, that never happened. You identified the king by his armor. So Saul said, if they see David going out, running out to battle, just perhaps they will think it's me. That's number one. Number two, he puts the armor on him because he hopes to get credit if David wins. Say, oh man, I mentored him. Oh yeah, I trained him to, I trained him to fight like that. He wants to credit the dead religious system for the victory. But David said, man, I've not tried this. I, I've not tried this. All I know is a all I know is a sling. All I know is a stone. All I know is a sling is a stone. All I know is a relationship with God. God's going to have to guide this stone. All I know is relationship. So he cast off this armor. He cast off this armor. He goes and kills Goliath. And when he goes and kills Goliath, cuts off Goliath's head with his own sword, Saul is jealous they said Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. And Saul is, is so jealous of, of David that the Bible says that David had to run into caves. He had to hide in caves. He had to hide in uh, different places. And um, 
running away from him. And the spirit of God had lifted off of Saul. And one of the reasons why Saul was jealous is because he recognized the anointing on David. He, He recognized it. And so David was running, David was running from, from Saul and, but all of a sudden, uh, years would pass, Saul would die, David would become king. And when David becomes king, what happens is, is that now everything that David touches is being blessed by God, is being prosperous. But then there comes a moment where David gets comfortable he, the success is getting to his head. And it was a time where the kings went forth to battle and and David decides to stay home. He sees Bathsheba. He sleeps with Bathsheba. He, he sins. And Uriah comes home. He's loyal to David. I, I want you to hear this point. This is the whole point of this message here today. He sends... Uriah forth into the heat of the battle to try to cover the pregnancy because Bathsheba's pregnant. Uriah is killed in battle, in the heat of the battle. And the prophet comes to rebuke David. Well, here's the issue. Where did David learn to put Uriah forth into the heat of the battle? Where did he learn that? He learned it from Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Because look what Saul would do to David to get rid of him. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 25. It says, And Saul said, Thus shall ye say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines, to be avenged of the king's enemies. But David thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. You see, David learned how what to do to Uriah when he saw what Saul tried to do with him. And when God saw David mimic the system that he was supposed to change. God said, I've got to move on. God said, I've got to move on because David didn't put on the armor of Saul at the beginning of his ministry, but he did put on the armor of Saul at the end of his ministry. He finally mimicked the system he was supposed to change because now he doesn't preach to change lives anymore. Now he does it for a paycheck. He doesn't sing to give glory to God anymore. Now he just does it to be seen. And he finally put on the armor of Saul. And God's problem wasn't just what he did with Bathsheba. God had an issue with what he did with Uriah. Because when you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you can see that God never mentions David's sin with Bathsheba. He never mentions David's sin with Bathsheba. But in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5, the Bible says, but because David did that, because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned 
not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. You see, God's problem wasn't only what he did with Bathsheba. His issue was what he did with Uriah. Oh, my word. Because when he saw him mimic that system that he was supposed to change, God saw that there was a problem with David's heart. And remember when David numbered the people and then a plague came? Where did he learn to number the people? From Saul. David was mimicking Saul towards the end of his kingdom. And God had to send a prophet to rebuke him and bring him back to how he started. That's why in Psalm 51, he would finally say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I've drifted. I started, this heart was just after you and your presence, but now after being around the system, after enduring abuse, after enduring the things that I've endured, that, that now some things have tainted my heart and I need you to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Bring me back to how you found me. Bring me back to that purity. Bring me back to that innocence. Bring me back to how you found me. Oh, my word. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. Before he formed you in the belly, he knew you. But the issue is, God puts a purpose in you, and then you're born, and you go out into a family and a society that tries to form you into its image and deform you out of God's image. And you lose you in the process. And you become tainted, and you become impure, and you become all this stuff is added to your heart and to your spirit, where God has to send his anointing to cleanse that heart and bring you back to what he ordained you to be. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Bring me back to how you found me. Before this world got a hold of me, before the dead religious system tainted me. Bring me back to that place in prayer. Bring me back to that place in fasting. Bring me back to where all I wanted was you. You see, God wants to bring you back to what he intended you to be. He wants to wash off the world. He wants to wash off the toxicity. He wants to wash off the pain. He wants to wash off what you've been through. Because when you go through stuff, your heart can get hardened. Your, 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 your spirit can, can just, you just, you, you lose the trust. You lose all these things because how the system has tried to corrupt you, people that have harmed you. I'm speaking a word of healing to somebody listening right now. You didn't deserve to be abused. You didn't deserve to be taken advantage of. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve to not be defended. Oh, I'm in the Holy Ghost talking to you right now. You didn't deserve that. God loves you. And God wants to defend you and bring you back to how he found you. He's going to wash away the hurts. He's going to wash away the past. He's going to wash away the things that have hurt you. David finally cried out, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit. 
he's, that's what he said. I'm just coming back. I'm, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you, Jesus. I'm coming back to you, Jesus. That's what I want you to pray. God, I'm coming back to you. I got busy. The job got busy. Work got busy. I got so successful. All these doors opened that I got so busy that I don't even have time to pray to you anymore. I don't even have time to worship you anymore. God, creating me a clean heart because you raised up a bunch of Davids to shock the system, to show them it's all about relationship. Everyone listening right now, you're a David to bring the people of God back to what it's all about. And it's all about knowing him, knowing him, knowing him, relationship, relationship with God. That has to be the priority. That's why I'm here today, because of my relationship with God. Not because of the systems of men, not because of my connections, not because of the people I know. I'm only here because of my relationship with God. I live unconditional love because of my relationship with God. I love my enemies. I love the people that hate me because of my relationship with God. I love I love everyone listening. I love, I love everyone. How can I do that? It's because I love God. And because I love God, it's empowered me to love everyone and love my brothers and love my sisters. And everyone knows John 3.16 about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Everyone knows that scripture. But no one talks about 1 John 3.16 where it says that as Christ laid down his life for us, even so we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let me tell you, I'm willing to lay down my life for the brethren. I'm willing to lay down my life for the brethren. And that's a biblical, that is so biblical. That is just a biblical response. How can you do that? It's because of relationship. I love God. That's why I love you. Oh, and you can see my love for God by how I love you. The Bible says anyone that says that they love God and hate their brother, he said they're, they're a liar and the love of God isn't in them. I love you. To my brothers and sisters out there, I love you. And we, in love, I'm speaking to us. Let's come back to relationship because that's the only way we're going to survive the test of time. It's the only way when the systems of men fade, God's presence and God's spirit is going to be there. And there's going to be a depth to your ministry. There's going to be depth to your walk because you know what? You just want God. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you have it all together. It just means, man, I want to live for him. I want to know him. I want to spend time with him. My, my degrees, my two master's degrees, my bachelor's degree in health science and religion didn't teach me how to preach. I learned how to preach because of my relationship. God taught me how to preach. God taught me how to preach in a prayer closet, in a prayer meeting. And it's my relationship with God that allows me to have relationship. Relationship. Relationship with God has to be the fundamental of everything that we do. And David was raised up to shock the religious system. I'm going to do a part two on this about relationship because I feel that you're hungry for this. I feel that you're hungry for this. You are hungry 
to go to a deeper dimension in God. You are hungry to draw closer to God. And what we're doing in this podcast is to cultivate those things in you, to go after God with everything in you, because when you get in contact with God, anything is possible. Anything can happen. Through him, you're more than a conqueror. Through him, you're more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph. So David was raised up to shock the religious system. And, and when he started mimicking the system, there was a rebuke that came to him and said, you've forgotten where you came from. Have you ever forgotten where you came from? Have you ever forgotten where you came from, where, where God found you in the muck and the mire? He found you in the sickness. He found you in the pain. But now he dressed you up so well, you forgot where you came from. Don't ever forget where you came from. Good Friday's coming up. Resurrection Sunday's coming up. And this is a thought that you should think on uh, Matthew 27 and 36. I'll leave you with a thought to munch on in Matthew 27, 36. Because we can become desensitized after a time of familiarity. I'm going to do a part two to this. I'm going to tell you this. This isn't me. This is your hunger for God. I'm going to do a part two on this. And um, in Matthew chapter 27, in verse... 36, the Bible says that the crucifixion of Jesus happens. What you have to understand is that crucifixions were common during this time. The Greeks would use crucifixion, but the Romans made it more popular, and it was the most gruesome form of punishment, uh, the crucifixion. It was the most gruesome form of punishment. And... The Romans would use this crucifixion to to not only torture criminals, but also to send a warning to potential rebels. Spartacus and his armor, they were built against Rome. And so what they did is they crucified Spartacus and 300 men. They, they crucified him and put him on both sides of, of the via, of the road. And so everyone that walked down that road they would see these crucified men gasping for air. And those crosses were made eye level. They weren't high. They were eye level where you can look into the person's eyes and see them wince in pain. And they would know, I'm never rebelling against Rome because this is what they do to people that rebel. So these Romans, they would bring the Jews to watch these crucifixions and put the fear of, of, of rebelling in them. Can you imagine the first time a Jew watched the crucifixion, how they, would, how they would weep and cry? They couldn't bear the agony. They would close their eyes. They would tell their kids, hey, close your eyes. Don't watch this. This is too bad. And over and over, they kept getting exposed to the crucifixion. And they kept being exposed to the crucifixion so much. They saw it so much that by the time we get to Jesus, where he's being crucified, in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 36, the Bible says, and sitting down, they watched him there. And sitting down, they watched him there. They sat down 
and were entertained by the crucifixion. See, the first time they saw the crucifixion, they winced in pain, but as time went on, all of a sudden they could fold their arms. All of a sudden now they could sit back. Now all of a sudden now they, they get distracted. Maybe they could mock, maybe they could laugh because they saw so many crucifixions that now the crucifixion just doesn't move them anymore. And could it be that you and I, we hear the crucifixion story so much every, every Easter, every Good Friday, every Resurrection Sunday, we hear it so much that now it just doesn't move us anymore. And we, so we just sit down and watch him there. The first time you heard of the cross, uh, the preacher couldn't even get done with his first point in the message you came to the front got down on your hands and knees and wept in his presence the first time you came to god and you heard of hope you heard of salvation you heard of what jesus how he took your place on the cross like like it could be at the beginning of service you wept and cried and went home and told your friends but as time goes on and his hurts happen and his betrayal happens and as you see the dead religious system and you get into the ritual, now you can just sit back and watch him there. No tears, fold your arms, go through the motions, just another Sunday, just another service, just another sermon, just another, just another thing about Jesus. And we have forgotten where we've come from. And so we've got to come together and say, create in me a clean heart, O oh God and renew a right spirit within me. God, I'm just coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. I'm coming back to what this thing's all about. Somehow in the busyness of the schedule, somehow the people that betrayed me, it made me get hurt and cold and bitter against you, God. But Lord, it was people that hurt me. You didn't hurt me. It was people of the dead religious system that traumatized me. You didn't traumatize me, Jesus. God, I'm coming back to you, creating me a clean heart because God is raising you up. Every listener right now, hear me. God is raising you up to be an example of what it means to have a relationship with God over the ritual, over the system, over the things of this world. Purity is coming back to the church and you're going to lead the charge by how you treat people and how you love people. Our church in Orlando, we, we say at every service that our church is founded upon three principles, the presence of God, the word of God, and purity. Because we understand that those three elements are essential to the health of a church. It's essential to develop a heart relationship and you're hungry for it. We're hungry for it. Let's come back to relationship. You're hungry for it. It's time. You've been having this. I'm just putting to words the things that you've been feeling the last three years. I'm just putting to words what you've been feeling the last five years. I'm just putting to words. There are some people listening that haven't been to church in 20 years. And it's because you recognize that people have put aside relationship with God but you are the remnant 
to come back into relationship with God. We're going to do a part two. Remember, subscribe. We're going to have an announcement that I'm releasing exclusively to those that subscribe to this podcast. Uh, This announcement I'm most likely going to make next week. But for those that subscribe, you'll have it today. And you'll be ahead of the game. And I've got some exciting updates of resources that are going to be a blessing to you. And things that are just to develop relationship with God. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, For more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson. Or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.